Uh, as stated earlier, we naturally are drawn to sin. And because of that sin, God would be 100% uh, 100% justified if he turned his backs on us and left us to those consequences. But in his faithfulness, he cannot be changed by our sin. And we saw this at the end of the song. Our sin does not change God's faithfulness. Thus, we come to heading number one for this morning. God is faithful to his promises, promises despite our repeated sinfulness. God is faithful to his promises despite our repeated sinfulness. Would we come into the, to the chapter once the people of Israel have cried out to God, we see God raising up and sending the angel of the Lord to, to speak to Gideon and to talk to him. And when we find Gideon, it, it's, it's kind of odd because what they're actually doing as a result of their sin, he's hiding out in the wine press. And if you don't understand what they're doing, they're hiding the wine press and they're preparing the wheat that they've gathered. And in doing so, it's odd because they're, they're really hiding from the Midianites. And, and what it says is, though we don't want to overlook it, but because they are being oppressed by the Midianites, then they've got to find creative ways to survive. And what we see is they're basically hiding out like animals and on the verge of a famine because the Israelites have oppressed them so badly in the land. But instead of addressing Gideon based on the current circumstance, he seems to give a, the, the angel seems to give a, a, a kind of a one-verse pep talk. Let's, let's read what it says in verses 12 to 13. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wondrous, wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So, you know, have you ever been in a position where you're just completely blind of what's going on around you with no situational awareness? This appears to be where Gideon is. He has no understanding that it is Israel's sin that has turned God away from them. It is their sin that has brought them into this point of hiding out in the, in the dens and in the caves to the point of almost being in a famine to the point to where they're once again crying out to God as God reveals their sinfulness for them. And whenever things are good, we assume that, that all is well with God, uh, that as far as our minds are concerned, that we are doing what we're supposed to do, all is well, God is happy with us, and we cannot, be, uh, we cannot be moved by our circumstances. But the minute things begin to sour and we first find that things are not going our way, we soon turn on God. And the very next thing we do is we accuse God of not being on our side. But with Israel, because of their idolatry and a host of other sins, God has abandoned them for the moment to Gideon. Uh, to Midian. Uh, however, Gideon does not recognize this, uh, and he doesn't understand that this belongs to their own sin. Let's look at verses uh, 14 through 18. So again, as we're reading, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, 
but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is, that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So again, now, after the angel has already told Gideon that the Lord is with him, and Gideon has basically squirmed and doesn't understand that hey, it is my sin, the angel tells him, hey, go in this might of yours, go with this fervor of yours, go with this understanding, with this concern, and go and save Israel. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to go with you. But this isn't enough for Gideon. Gideon still needs a reformation. He needs some more confirmation that God is going to be with him. Uh, so he asked him, please stay until I bring you out an offering and, and, and set it before you. But what we have to look at is twice within the conversation, Gideon is assured of God's support. First, in verse 14, do I, uh, do I not send you? And again, in verse 16, but I will be with you. How many times have we come to God and asked him for something, but then when it doesn't happen fast enough, we go to God and say, God, please give me a sign. You know, God, if, if you want me to go on this mission trip, then, then just send me a sign, God. Let me know that it is you that has raised up this opportunity, that you are going to send me on this trip and get me to where I want to be. Or, or sometimes we're very specific like Gideon and we'll say, God, if you, if you really want me to help out in the, the church audio visual team on Sunday mornings, God, if that is what your desire is for me, then, then let the, the bass from the drums, God, overcome me and let the voices of the singers send chills down my spine and knock me out of the seat. That is how we come to God when we want confirmation. And yes, that was a shameful plug for uh, AV volunteers, if you guys did not catch that. Uh, all volunteers can sign up in the back after service. But this is, this is just how we are. We just, God's word is not good enough. God, we cannot look at God's word and say, God has said. We cannot understand that God says, for the Lord has said, or uh, the Lord um, thou house has said, go. Um, and we need God to give us just a little bit more to ease our minds. And what it really is, is showing that like Gideon, like the Israelites, that we have a lack of confidence in God's ability to do what God said he would do. This is not being faithful. God's word is sufficient, uh, as, as Vinny alluded to earlier today. It's sufficient in commanding us, it's sufficient in directing us, and it's sufficient in affirming his commands and his instructions. But we also have to make sure that when we do understand this and when we do get that confirmation with God, there is something that is required. Let's look at verses 25 through 27, please. So in verse 25, you know, God recognizes that he needs to, you know, Gideon, Gideon is fearful, and God recognizes he needs to get Gideon on task. Uh, he does not need like, have Gideon to have time to calm down. He needs to have Gideon on the move. And in verse 25, it says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the asherah that you, should, that you shall cut down. 
So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So let's, let's first talk about what Gideon did, uh, about Gideon's obedience. When God said go, even in his fear, Gideon still went to tear down the Asher pole to be obedient what God has said. And this is, again, this is where we need to be at. We need to be obedient to what we know that God has clearly told us to do. And sometimes that is hard because there's always that fear that man is going to harm us in some way, that somehow that, that fear of man is more powerful for us, for us than that fear of God. But even though, again, that Gideon was afraid, he went and did it. He took his seven men and he went and did it when it was absolutely easy enough for Gideon to go back and run to the wine press. Um, but if we're honest, Gideon, and we'll see in a minute, Gideon had some real concern here, and rightfully so. Uh, go with me to verse 28, and we're going to read to 31. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was, torn, was broken down, and the asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. So just pause it right there. So Gideon went and did exactly as the Lord had told him to go, as he understood it to be from his command. Verse 29, and they said uh, to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asher beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. So if we look at this passage closely, there, there's a lot going on in this passage. So the very first thing that we see is that sin has fully permeated into the northern tribes of Israel. Not only do they have an idol set up inside of Israel territory, but if we look even closer, it's the idol belongs to, Baal, to Gideon's father. So it's in Gideon's household. So if we look back at Gideon complaining in verse 1, uh, in, in, uh, in the first part of the chapter, he would have recognized, like, hey, there's some sin going on in my own life that I'm not taking responsibility for. Accountability is not something that is basically prevalent with Gideon and the men in, um, in Manasseh and the tribe at this time. The other thing we have to look at comes to us from uh, Deuteronomy 13, 6 to 11. It says, uh, Deuteronomy 6 says, If anyone entices you toward another god, first you, then, first you, then all the town should stone that person to death. So the ironic thing that's going on is the men are seeking the person responsible for tearing down the false idol, the idol to the god that they have inside of the house of jo, uh, Joash. But the problem is the punishment that they're trying to prescribe to Gideon is the punishment that God has prescribed to Israel for the exact same sin. And again, this is a problem with accountability. You know, but the thing is, you know, we, we see this all the time. Have you ever tried to confront someone in their sin gone to someone and say, hey, I think you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing here. You know what you're supposed to be doing, but what you're doing is really wrong. You're just not doing what God has told you to do. But even more so, 
Have you ever tried to confront multiple people on the same thing when they're convinced that they're right? I, I, I submit to you, if you don't see how this has completely taken over in our society and how our society is completely given into this, you know, turn on media. Look at how same-sex marriage, uh, the right to abortion, uh, little boys wanting to be little girls, little girls wanting to be little boys. Look how all of these things have become prevalent in our society and how our society says, hey, this is what we want, this is right, giving no account for their, to God, not understanding how they have offended a holy God and how their actions are due and setting them up for punishment. This is something that we need to understand, and we overlook it. We think, well, that's not me. I'm doing good. But the, the responsibility as Christians is we have to tell those people. We have to stand up and let them know what you're doing is wrong. It is not right, and you will be punished for this. Um, it's not loving to watch them do that and not tell them about it, just like it's not loving to let it go in our own lives. And I believe that that is why God first dealt with the, the sin in Gideon's life before he can continue to use Gideon as he had called him uh, in the first part of the chapter. You know, our reverence always has to be for God and not for fear of, fear of men. Um, but far too often, the determining factor for our obedience is what will they say? How will they treat me if I go against what they expect me to do? How will they treat me if I do not agree with what they say? Unfortunately, our faith and our commitment to God is just like the tide. It ebb and flows based on our circumstances. One day we are in, our, in a good stance with God. We are, we're doing what God says, but as soon as things don't go our way, that relationship changes. And we see in verses 36 uh, through 40, and I'm not going to read it, uh, but, but Gideon again lacks faith in what God is telling him to do. And, and he already knows that hey, God has asked me to go and to do this thing with, with the men in the tribe and tear down the Asher and give an offering. Okay, so I saw that sin in my life, and now God is preparing me to go out. He said he's going to save Israel by my hands, and he's going to be with me. But God, I still have some doubts. I still do not feel comfortable doing what you've told me to do. Even though you have just allowed me to do this for you, you've saved me from the men. Even though this has happened just moments ago, I still am not comfortable. So Gideon goes to God, and he puts him to the test one more time. And he says, in his final test, he says, hey, well, God, if, if this is you, God, if you're going to be with me, if you're going to actually guide me through and save Israel by my hand. I'm going to lay this fleece on the floor in the, in the threshing floor. I want you to, to make it wet with the dew from the air, God. I, this is what I want you to do, God, to prove to me that you, God, will do what you said that you will do. And then he says, and likewise, the next day, I want you to do the reverse, God. I want you to go, and this time, I want you to make the ground around the fleece wet with the dew instead of making the fleece wet. And if you'll do this, God, then I'll believe in you. If you'll, if you'll just make me prosperous, God, then I'll believe in you. If you'll give me a new car, God, or if you'll give me a job promotion, God, then I'll believe in you, God, that you'll do what you say, and, and I'll do my very best to be obedient. We are way too often like Gideon, and we either deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not, or we agree with it, but just keep going because we believe God's grace will cover it. And it will, just not in the way that we think it will. Again, God is compassionate, and he satisfies Gideon's request. God always looks to 
provide for his people. But what we need to understand is that our faith should always first and wholly be rooted in God. Um, it is a proper understanding of God's sovereignty, and it gives proper respect to God for who he is. And this brings us to our second heading. God knows all things and is in control of all things. God knows all things and is in control of all things. You know, I was recently on Facebook, and I happened to come across a post. And if you're ever on Facebook, you know, there's, there's often there's someone have, like, a funny post up. And I don't know if this one was from a, a church sign or not. You know, normally they'll have one out front of the church. But the, the sign, was, I thought it was interesting and, and went well with uh, Chapter 7, where we're about to go into. And it said, God is not asking you to figure it out. He's asking you to trust that he already has. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty good. God's not asking us to figure out his plan. What he's asking us to do is to trust that when he tells us to go and he says that he'll be with us, that we are to go and he will be with us. This is the problem that we ultimately have whenever it's something that God is asking us to do, especially if we don't want to do it. You know, as we close out chapter 6 and, and begin into chapter 7, what we see is that God recognizes Israel's inclination to, uh, to self-sufficiency. He recognizes that by virtue of the fact that we are sinful men, that we are going to look first to ourselves in our own strength. And then when we get to a point to where it's too uncomfortable or we get to a point to where we just cannot handle what God has asked us to do, then and only then we'll cry out to God and say, God, help me out. Help me get through what you've told me to do. Let's go to uh, Judges chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 2 to verse 7. So the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites uh, into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from uh, Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So pausing there uh, right before uh, verse 4. So we see that Gideon has amassed an army to go out and do what God has asked him to do. But as we look at it, it appears that Gideon is not the only one that is fearful and lacks confidence at this point. It says that 22,000 of the men left and returned home. That is discouraging. If I'm Gideon and I'm watching as my army turns and goes home, that's going to be discouraging. I am going to have, again, some questions for God. Like, God, you said you're going to do this. What is going on? But God knows our hearts. And in verse 4, he says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for, uh, test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels to drink, everyone who kneels to drink, and the number of those who lapped put their hands to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, 
with the 300 men who left, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to, him, to his home. So, again, what we see is God showing that he is all-sufficient. God is showing Gideon that I don't want you to depend on your might and the might of Israel. I don't want you to depend on the men around you. I want you to put your focus on me. God does not share his glory with men, nor should he. It would do us well to remember that God is who God says he is, and he will do what he says he wants to do. Um, and, and what we see is as, the, as an outcome, God gives victory to Gideon, just like for us. When we put our faith in God, we can be confident, and we pro- we've seen this in the past for Israel, that God, when they put their faith in him, God brings them through. Even when they don't put their faith in him, God is always faithful, as we said. Um, but as the, as the heading uh, insists, God knows all things and is in control of all things. He knows how he is going to react. He knows what the people need in order to get the job done. He knows what he needs to do to ensure that his will is done. But as always, we have to be on board with what God says. We have to be willing to act. Um, Let's read in verse 22 really quick. Um, Verse 22 says this. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword, he's talking about the, the Midianites, he set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abeth Mahola by Tabith. So going back to give us a little context as what is going on here. So God tells Gideon, get your men and go down into the camp. But before that, we see again, Gideon is once again afraid, and God in his compassion says, okay, Gideon, I get it. You're still scared, rightfully so. I've took your, your 3,000 plus men, your 30,000 plus men, and I've broken them down to 300. You've got some questions. But this is what I want you to do, Gideon. Go down to the camp, and if you're still scared, take your servant pool with you and listen to what they're saying. And by listening to what the, 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 the Midianites are saying, Gideon is... is, is uh, re-energized and he's given more faith because the people are saying Gideon is coming. The Lord has set Gideon against us and this one uh, strengthens Gideon's faith but also what it does, it's, it sets Gideon's mind back on God and, and Gideon acts accordingly. He praises Gideon goes and he praises God. It, if we uh, look at what the pastor says, it says and when Gideon heard this, he praised the Lord. This, is, this needs to be our response. When God gives us victory, we need to praise him for the victory that he has given us. The other thing that we have to look out, look at as well is how God gave the response, gave the victory to uh, Gideon and his men. You know, back in, 20, in verse 22 it says, the Lord, not Gideon, not, not their fear of Gideon, but the Lord set each man's sword against his comrade. So I can imagine that as, as Gideon and his 300 men are, are, are sounding their trumpets and, and they've got their torches and, and they're, they're surrounding the men, they watch as this army, this huge army, which will later, uh, uh, will later be revealed that it's in somewhat in the area of 120,000 plus men, uh, like the locusts um, locust in verse uh, chapter 6 says, that when they came down, that they see these men turning against themselves. 
So, again, if I'm looking at this and I see this army and the men are just turning against themselves, to me, that is really going to do something for my faith in God. That's going to help me to understand that God is in control of what is going on. And this should be exactly how we look at what God is doing in our lives. Um, you know, how often have we known that God has worked out a miracle in our life, but we failed to give God the praise for it? You know, we see that we know that God has given us this promotion. God has brought us from this point of, of trials and these errors and he's brought us through these hardships. And now on the other end of these hardships, we see that God has been faithful, but we refuse to give him the glory that he deserves. And like Gideon, we need to make sure that, that once God has, you know, once we have believed God and that he has given us, the, you know, the, again, the things that we need, we, we deliberately honor God and we deliberately show him our praise and our reverence for him and make sure that as we do this, that he knows that we understand his song and that he is in control. And this will bring us to um, our, our third heading, which is when, when we lose sight of God, we are naturally drawn to sin. And I'll say that again. When we lose sight of God, we are naturally drawn into sin. You know, just like Gideon, you know, very, very often, you know, once God, after, the, after a, a, a victorious campaign, after everything has worked out, our focus immediately turns and we go inward. We go back into self and we cannot get ourselves to understand or give God, you know, the glory that he, that he needs. And, and in, in chapter 8, verse 1, we see just as soon as the battle's over, the men uh, of Ephraim come to Gideon and they're complaining because they're not concerned with what's going on with, with Gideon and what God is doing, but they're concerned with them. And in, chapter, in verse 1, uh, chapter 8, it says this, Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is it that you have done to us not to call us when you went against uh, went against Midian, and they accused him fiercely, and they said to him, uh, and he said to them, he being Gideon, what, I have, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the glean of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Ebiezer? God has given you the, given you the hands, the princes, given us your hands, the princes of Midian, Orab, and Zip. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when, they, when he said this. So again, when, when the men come to Gideon, they are not concerned with giving glory to God. Instead, what they're concerned with is that they want to be part of what is going on with Israel's victory. They want to be counted, accountable, and they want to be brought into and recognized for what has happened, how Israel has been saved, their desires for recognition, not for glory. You know, and, and again, we often take credit for what God is doing after God has done all the heavy lifting. We, we go in, we say, God, I know you brought me from, from here to here, but at the same time, God, I, 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 think, I think that I'm good. I, I could have did this on my own, God. I, I, don't, I don't really think that I need to praise God as much. Yeah, God was there. I called out to him, but I was the one that was actually doing all the work, and this is far from the truth. Instead of drawing attention to ourselves, the right response is to praise God and to glorify him. But, but moving through the narrative, you know, Gideon, Gideon talks to him. He says, hey, you know, you know, what more do you want? 
how much more do you need? You know, the, you know, and the whole thing about the gleaning of the grapes, that's the leftovers. God is giving you the princess of Midian. He hasn't given you the leftovers of what he's done for you. He's given you, you know, some of the best fruits of, what, of the victory. Uh, and then from there, we see that the men went away and they were subsided. You know, thanks to Gideon's quick thinking and his smooth talking, uh, he allowed himself to once again, which we know is, is likely God, to remove from a hostile situation. Uh, but as Gideon, we, we see, you know, things begin to change a little bit as Gideon is pursuing the Midianite kings and as he has to travel through uh, the towns of Succoth uh, and Penuel. And again, this is just another example of how the sins in Israel has so deeply permeated to all, to all the tribes. And, you know, as he's going, you know, obviously his men are hungry. You know, if you've ever been on a, a long hike or you've been traveling for a while and you haven't had, you know, food really at, really at your access, you, you, you're hungry and, and you're going to stop and get whatever food you can from wherever you can. And, and this is kind of where getting his men are. But when they come to the towns of, of Succoth and then uh, subsequently into Penuel, what they find is instead of the men helping them out, Instead of they helping out the, their fellow Israelites in what God is doing, they instead taunt them and refuse to give Gideon and his men any food. So obviously Gideon is upset. Gideon is angry. He's doing God's work. His men are tired. But now his fellow Israelites are not going to uh, support him. And this is sometimes where we find ourselves as well. You know, we're, we're going through our phases and we're, we're doing what God needs us to do. And we're asking for just a, a little bit of help from, you know, our fellow, our, our fellow Christians. And sometimes uh, they're less than uh, compassionate to their, their needs. But what we see Gideon say is, okay, fine. If you guys aren't going to help me know this, when I come back, I will punish you for your lack of support. And, and we see um, here shortly in, in verses uh, 8, uh, 13 to 17, Gideon is very truthful to his word. Uh, in verse 18, it says, then Gideon, you know, after he's gone and he's pursued uh, the two kings and, and he's, he's finally captured the kings, uh, Gideon, you know, not wanting to stop what God has him doing, he comes back to the men and it says in 13 that Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Heraz and he captured a young man of Succoth and, and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came uh, to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Samuna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Samuna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who were exhausted? So we see Gideon come back saying, Okay, this is what you said on my way out. And verse 16 says, And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. So Gideon is saying, hey, this is exactly what I said was going to happen. And now I'm going to be faithful to my word and it's going to happen. But the bigger picture here is not so much what Gideon is doing. It's what the men of Succoth weren't doing. And in what they weren't doing, they, the men of Succoth, again, it's, it's the fact that like the the, 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 the men in the tribe of, of Manasseh, they were more afraid of what the, the suck of God, they were more afraid of what Midian was doing instead of what God was doing. They were, they were more afraid for what 
the, the Midianites might do them for supporting Gideon than they were what God was doing, to, doing for them in rescuing them from, uh, from, uh, from Midian's hand. So, again, the people did not support Gideon. And, and when this happens in our lives, we have to make sure that when we, when we see this going on, we need to go to God and we need to repent. God, I saw that you were doing this in my life. I saw that you were asking for this, but I did not help our God. Forgive me. Uh, you know, save me. Turn my heart back to you, God, so that I will support you the way that you require my support. But unfortunately, we see that the sin in Israel goes beyond just the people and that same sin is also still very much uh, resident in uh, the lives of Gideon. You know, and uh, something else I don't I don't want to skip over this. I want to go back to this. You know, when even after Gideon uh, went through and he, you know, he tested God to bring him through. I also want to see what God was doing. You know, God yes, God was compassionate to Gideon, and God let Gideon test him, and God gave Gideon a response. But we also look at what God did. God did not alleviate Gideon of his task that he gave him. God said, go and save Israel. Yes, I'm going to answer your request. Yes, I'm going to, you know, give you the sign that you're asking for. But your disobedience, our disobedience is not an excuse for us not to do what God has clearly told us to do. So, again, I just want to make sure that we understand that, yes, God is going to be compassionate, and he may choose to answer, you know, when we ask him for a a confirmation of what he's told us to do, but being disobedient, that is not what he's looking for, and that is not the proper response. But, you know, as we continue with the story of Gideon, you know, even after a successful campaign against uh, uh, the, the kings of Midian, even after uh, a, a successful <clears throat> uh, completion of all his tasks, even after God giving him the victory, even after Gideon going through and God confirming all of his fears and all of his doubts, we see again that Gideon is still not ready to be where he needs to be. And likewise, the men uh, of Israel are still not fully where they, they should be when he talked to when they're taking on the reverence and understanding of God. So if we look in uh, verse 18, we see here that there Gideon starts to shift in his character. Uh, verse 18 says, Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, where are the men who you killed at Tabor? They answered, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, they were, both, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. And as, uh, as the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zemuna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us. For as a man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zemuna, and took and he took the crescent ornaments that were around the necks of their camels. So a couple things are going on here that I, I want to unfold for us. So when we look at this, Gideon is supposed to be on the Lord's mission. He's supposed to be carrying out God's plan. But here, what we see is Gideon going into a position where he's angry and he's taking, he's in a more of a, a, a area of revenge instead of an area of obedience. And you say, well, well, well how so? Well, uh, just to add a little bit of context, if we remember back when Moses first brought the Israelites over and they first encountered the Midianites, there was a battle. And in that battle, 
uh, several of Israel, uh, several uh, uh, Gideon's brothers were actually killed. And this is, this is the scene, this is the battle that Gideon's referring to. So now, even after all this time, all of this, all this anger and all of this, Gideon, this is still very fresh for Gideon, just like it would be with Israel. And Gideon is obviously upset. And instead of looking for what God tells him to do, he decides that now there's a shift. And instead of God driving the boat, now Gideon is steering the ship. It's now Gideon's plan, and Gideon is doing what Gideon wants to do to, to satisfy his own requirements. And this, what we see is an act of revenge, an act of humiliation, and an act of pride. The revenge comes in Gideon killing the kings because they taunted him and because they killed his brothers. The act of humiliation comes as he seeks to have his young son kill the two kings. This would have been a humiliation to the king to be killed by an untrained young man. Um, this would not be something that's good for them. And then finally, we look at, at pride where Gideon uh, tells him, hey, I want my son to do this so he can bestow this honor on his son. All these things take Gideon out of the proper frame of mind for what God has told him to do into his own actions. And this is where we come into a problem, where we look at what God is telling us to do, and we say, God, I understand you told me to do this. However, I think that at this point that I've got it, and I can make my own decision. And because I'm making my own decisions, God, then I'm just going to, like, just kind of go and do my own thing, and I'll leave you over here. Um, but what we find out is that never ends out well for us. And we see for Gideon, as he's doing all this, that this obviously that his character is not, does not remain in line with God. So, as, as again, as we see this, we also know that the men, of, the men of Israel also are not following in God's uh, footsteps. And just as soon as the battle is over, just like the men came to him from Ephraim, we see the men of Israel come to Gideon um, in chapter 22 with their own uh, ideas. So in chapter 22 it says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. So again, there's, there's deception. There's a lack of, of honor, honoring God and glorifying God and what he's done. And the men come to Gideon and say, Gideon, we want you to rule over us. We want you to be our king. And, and clearly this is a problem. God has said that I will, be, I will rule over you. I will be your king. And, and Gideon, Gideon rightfully answers in response and says, I will not rule over you. My sons will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And, and this is good that Gideon is saying this. However, there is still the fact that the men believe that their salvation came by the hands of Gideon and by the works of Gideon and not by the hands of the Lord. So, you know, again, no, no sooner as the problem is resolved, the people come and, and they, they come to Gideon and they're ready to, to bring him over and, they, and they're ready to make Gideon the ruler. Uh, however, despite Gideon's response, his actions seem to suggest otherwise. You know, it's, it's often like we, we will say one thing, but will mean something entirely different. Our, our actual motives, motives will be different from what we actually intend to do. And this is, though publicly rejecting the offer of kingship, 
Gideon immediately begins to collect for himself a, a kingly helping of the spoils. He, he collects the rings and he collects all, the, all the, the, the nice things that the kings have for themselves. And he brings them to his household. And, you know, as, as if it was enough, he, he creates an, an ephod. So, again, a, another, another point of context, the, the ephod is the, the, the priestly apron that the, the priest would wear in order to inquire of the Lord. So the fact that Gideon had created one of these for himself, this, this was not a good thing. This was showing, you know, maybe he is really off track here that, hey, this ephod, this is going to be something good for me and my family. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but if we look at how Gideon's actions are starting to add up, we can see this probably does not go well. But also the Bible says that there, it was, the problem was that it was a snare to Gideon and his family. It means it was a trap to Gideon. They were all after this ephod. And then it says the, the, Israel, the, um, the Israelites whored after. It means they went after. It became an idol to them. It became something that they desired and something that they sought after more than God. That's what that verbiage means in, in this particular case. And obviously we know that this is not where we want to be. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we see that Gideon continues his downward spiral. Everything from the, the idolatry of, of creating the ephod, uh, the Bible says that he went uh, and he grabbed, he joined uh, in himself multiple wives. So he's got polygamy going on. He went and had multiple sons, which, uh, you know, one of the signs of having a, a huge family was, you know, as a king to carry on your name. Uh, and even one of his sons was named Abimelech, which is, means my father uh, is this king. So all of these things, all of his actions clearly point to Gideon as going off the rails from God, when God had, God had called him up to do into going to what Gideon himself had decided that was best for him. But as we come to the, to the final verse uh, in, in 833 and 35, uh, we see that not only Gideon, again, but the men also have turned their backs on God and, and uh, turned away from him. In verse 33, uh, it says, As soon as Gideon died, and the people, uh, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done for Israel. So once again, we see that Israel starts the same cycle that we've seen from the beginning of Judges into now. As soon as the judge dies, as soon as God delivers them, they turn back and they are just as wicked as they were before. But Paul says, you know, just like, you know, our sin, we, we, we're, like, we're like little babies. You know, we, we can't be satisfied. You know, we, we're, we're crying to be pacified, but, but the moment that we are pacified and that we're satisfied, you know, we have no more need for the pacifier. We have no more need for the person that, that bought us that salvation, and we don't give glory. We must understand how addictive sin can become in our lives, and everything that we do must be to combat sin. But the only way that we can do that is that we need to consistently turn to God, repent of our sin, and receive grace if we are to overpower that sin and overcome that sin in our lives. Paul says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This is a truth. However, we cannot continue, as Paul said, to sin just so we can receive grace. At some point, we must be move, we move beyond grace 
move into lack, move into confidence on God and allow God to be our source of strength. So as I prepare to close this morning, I want to bring us back to uh, the question from the beginning. And the question is, what more do you require? If you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus to save you, my question is, what are you waiting for? What sign has God not provided which is worth risking eternity in hell by refusing his gift of salvation? Are you, are you refusing to submit to God because you, you somehow believe that you know better than God or because God just hasn't shown you enough to be, be confident that he will save you? Or, or are you on the other end where you're like, well, God hasn't punished me yet, so I don't really have to understand that punishment is coming. Well, the clarification in Scripture is that you will be punished. Romans says that all have sinned, and the punishment for that sin is death. God will punish your sin. If this is, here, if this is you today, I plead that you can re- reconsider God's offer of salvation, that you go to God, that you pray that he will open your eyes to his precious offer through, the son, through his son, Jesus Christ, that, he would, that you would desperately understand how God is trying to save you and bring you to himself through the life of Jesus Christ and to save you from his judgment and give you eternity with Jesus Christ. But to be fair, I also want to provide a, a word of caution to uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. If God is not the main focus of your life, or if there's consistent wavering of sin, where you're not fully trusted in God, I ask you the same question. What more do you require? God has already approved you of your sin. He has chosen us to be his, uh, he, he's chosen us to be approved to him and sealed us with his Holy Spirit. You know, God's word is sufficient, and if it wasn't sufficient, then he would not have said so. But therefore, we need to be fully obedient to God and don't seek selfish affirmation for the things that we know that he's instructed us uh, to do. James 1 says, but let, not him ask, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. If, you don't, if your confidence is not where it needs to be, I urge you to go to God, pray to him, ask him to renew your faith in him, to bring you back in a right standing with him, and you put your confidence in him. This morning we need to understand that the same God that, filled, that fulfilled his promises to Israel will keep his promises to us. By his grace and his mercy, through the person of Jesus Christ, he has brought us salvation. He has brought salvation both to the Jew and to the Greek for those who come to Christ in faith and seal them with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So we need to put our trust in Christ and understand this morning that if we do this, I submit to you there's only one thing left to say, that nothing more is required. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you uh, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, your promise of 
salvation and eternity uh, through faith in him. We, we thank you, Father, that though you did not need to, that you, that you draw close to us, Father, uh, even when our sins uh, turn us away from you and when we go internal and, and, and seek to, to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying you who deserve uh, all the glory and praise, Father. We, we ask that you would come to us who have not put our faith in you, Father, that you would open our eyes uh, to them and, and to guide them into to truth so that they may turn and seek you. And, and for those of us who have put our faith in you, that you would, you would come to us to renew our faith in you, Father, that we would be totally and wholly confident in you, Father. Uh, we thank you, Father, so much for all you've done, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as the musicians come back up to the stage and uh, we prepare to, to sing.